Well, I'm going to be preaching today from Hebrews 11, great chapter, and um, one of my favourite chapters. I was actually going to preach on contending for vision, because our theme is kind of on vision. And after I'd prepared my message, I said, I don't even think I want to come and listen to that. <laughs> so, so I changed it and decided to, to talk to you about how God is a rewarder. God rewards us. How many of you like that much better? I like the fact that God rewards us and wants to reward us. Hebrews 11.6, let's read it together. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards us. So I've titled this message, Eyes on the Ball. I can tell you a little story about someone who asked the question, what makes a good golfer? How many of you here play golf? How many of you understand anything about golf? <laughs> okay, the rest of you, are in, you're in the dark. My mother was a champion golfer, really. She was the president of the the women's club up at Alexandra Headlands for many, many years. So I grew up around golf and uh, really tried to do it but couldn't see much sense in hitting a little ball all the way around to 18 holes and having to walk there. So, but you know. Anyway, it didn't appeal to me much golf. But what makes a good golfer? And one guy said, well, he said, oh, you look at how they stand. You look at the swing. Do they keep their eye on the ball? Have they got good follow-through? You know, all these techniques about what makes a good golfer. And he said, mm-hmm, and all those things are true. But the other guy said, well, what makes a good golfer? And he said, I look where the ball lands. Did you hear me? He said, I look where the ball lands. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about thing, something called Long-term perspective. You ever heard the phrase saying, can't see the forest for the trees? I think the world today probably is suffering from a little bit of um, long-term perspective. I think we look at um, the situations that we're facing in the world, and seriously, there is some really difficult things happening in the world. And, um, but, you know, the whole, the whole thought of can't see the forest for the trees is all about Someone who's too involved in the details of something to look at the whole. And it's, I think it's very easy, especially when you're dealing with personal issues in your own family, to get too close to it. And you, and you, can't, you, you can't see the big picture. And the details then can really discourage you. And I think today in the world, the world is looking very dark and very bleak. And sometimes we get up close and we start dissecting issues and problems. But if we're not careful, we're just getting so caught up in, in, in everything that we need to, I think today, we need to take a step back and get a long-term perspective. And it happens when, it can't, when you have a problem in your own life, your personal life, your family, your children, whatever, there comes a moment where you might just want to step back. You just might want to pull back and say, you know what, I need a fresh perspective or I need a different perspective. 
You're too busy looking at the swing and the follow through, whether you've got the eyes, blah, blah, blah. And, and so you've just got to pull back a little and just say, okay, get your eyes on the ball. And I just felt today God wants to encourage us and say, I'm a God who rewards faith. See, God is a rewarder. And sometimes we get caught up in the church issues or what's going on that we forget that God is a rewarder. We, got this, we haven't got this long-term spec, perspective. No matter what you go through, God is saying, I'm the rewarder. He is the one who will do good for you. And I think it's easy to forget that. I was looking at um, probably some issues that are really happening. I was telling um, some young people yesterday who are probably um, a little bit interested in the, the policies of the world, you know, and what's going on. And I just said in the end, I said, policies all sound very interesting, but, you know, where does the ball land? Because is it going to be good for you in the end? And with, with um, let me just touch on a couple of things that are happening, I believe, in Australia even right now. The defamation of Christian leaders now has, le- has reached new heights in Australia. And there's some things going on. In Victoria, for instance, the government now sees Christian values as bigoted and intolerant. I mean, that's pretty terrifying to think what could be down the road. And, you know, the the scary thing is that a lot of Christians vote for policies or for parties that in the end, if they looked at where the ball lands, they'd say, hey, you know, this probably isn't going to bode well for me in, say, five years or ten years. Dan Andrews was heard saying um, just this week he's introducing a new bill into the um, Victorian Parliament and this is what he said and I quote, cruel, bigoted practices seeking to oppress sexuality and gender will be stamped out by this bill. Wow, where's the the ball going to land with that one? That has terrible impact for teachers, for families, for, for a lot of us. You know, and the things that we, um, <clears throat> that we value. It says in, let me just read this, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. It says this. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and privileges, And pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable among the Gentiles, that that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Did you get that? When they speak against you as evildoers. That's here. That's happening now. Now they're starting to say... You are bigoted and you're intolerant. So there's some interesting things that are starting to happen, you know, for the socially conservative. You know, the goal, in the end, one of the things I believe, you know, they're going to start to educate. What happens when your children come home from school with values that are different to yours? It happened just today. I saw um, Lyle Shelton put up, I think it must be from yesterday's newspaper, saying that a family has been, had their child who was struggling with gender dysphoria, they've just had their child taken from them by the state. And they're going to allow this child to transition. 
and the parents don't want it. This fight now is at our door. But in the midst of all of that, I want to remind you that there's some things that we need to pull back from that a little bit and remember that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So God is in this with us and He will help us. Four things I want you to understand today. The return is the reward is eternal life. Hebrews 10:32. He says this. Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated you endured a great struggle with sufferings. While you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So in other words, in that day, even if you were a companion of someone who had really good values, you get hit as well with sludge. But he said, remember this, knowing you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. You have a better and enduring possession in heaven. We need to remind ourselves that what we're fighting for, what we're believing for, what we're living for, God says there is a great reward in no matter what you go through. So let's remind ourselves firstly that the reward is eternal life. Second thing is you're a pilgrim and a sojourner through this life. We forget we're passing through, passing through. I'm a citizen of heaven. My, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. 70 years in the light of eternity is nothing. In fact, <clears throat> 90 years is really nothing. You know what? I went to dinner on Thursday night with Heritage College, <laughs> Peter, and, and um, it was interesting. Sorry, this is going to keep pinging. Now I've got to turn it off. And <clears throat> I, was, I really enjoyed catching up with all the people that are involved in Heritage College, and there's a bunch of intercessors who pray. So I went and chatted to a 90-year-old. In fact, there was two 90-year-olds there, 8 o'clock at dinner, talking about their prayer life and how they pray. <clears throat> and I said to this one lady, Dulcie, she's just awesome. Her husband used to teach in Bible college when Peter was the dean. And <clears throat> I said, what, have you, you know, what had she been doing? And she, she says, oh, I'm a little weary. She said, here she is at dinner. I said, I went to a funeral in the morning and it's 8.30 at night. And I said, oh, you must be exhausted. She said, oh, a little. <laughs> and, and then she says, I said, what time do you normally go to bed? And she goes, oh, I try to stay up till about 11, 10, 30, 11. She said, because I only need six hours sleep. I'm already sitting there feeling quite guilty and condemned, this 90-year-old telling me, and I'm going, oh, okay. And she, I said, are you still in your own home? And she goes, yes. I went, are you still in your own home? What do you do with the garden? Oh, I have, you know, my neighbour comes and helps. And I said, you must have a cleaner. No, no, I do my own cleaning, but I probably should look at getting somebody in. By now, I'm sitting here going, are you serious? This woman is 90 years old. I've got how many years before I get there? I am never saying a negative word again. She's up, gone two events in one day, still sitting there, and at 8.30, 9 o'clock, I think she's entitled to feel a little weary, but she still won't go to bed. How about is, how is that? You know, here's this woman. It's not a long time, really, in the grand scheme of things. <clears throat> We're passing through. 
The third thing, God rewards faith. Hebrews 10.38 says, the just live by faith. If you're going to get through this time and this season, you've got to understand that you've got to learn. We have to learn to live by faith. More so as the day approaches. And faith endures the pain of the present life. Now, let me just give you some, <clears throat> some um, biblical stories. You know, the, the patriarchs were very good at keeping their eye on the ball. What are you going to do going forward when you leave here today? You're going to what? Tell me. Oh, you're so slack. Come on. What are you going to do? You can do better than that. What are you going to do? Keep your eye on the ball. Yes, let's have a look. The patriarchs kept their eye on the ball. Let's look at Daniel. He was in captivity in Daniel 1.8. said, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. And God brought Daniel into favour. Can I say the first thing we need to do in this day and age that we've got a purpose in our heart, how we're going to live. You've got a purpose and plan before things get rough. They say that when these bills get passed into law, probably it'll take five, to ten, five years about before they'll do test cases to see how it works out. And then we all end up in trouble. You've got five years to learn to live by faith, right? Maybe. It's already here. We've got to purpose in our heart now how we're going to live. <clears throat> Let's have a look at Abraham. Hebrews 11.10 says this, Now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It says Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. What are you looking for? I can look at the situation that's going on in the world, but in the end, this is all temporal. This passes away. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. In the end, my reward is God himself and his presence. That keeps you from depression, from doubting, from fear. You know, what happens in the governments of the world is really in the end just temporal. Keep your eye on the ball. What did Noah do? I love Noah. He had prophetic instinct. He kept doing... God's business. Hebrews 11 said, 7, 11, 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, prepared an ark. I believe the prophetic instinct which we develop and nurture here in this church is going to be really important for you as you live. Every day, now, you should be living by prophetic instinct. What are you building in your life? What are you building over your children's life? What I hope this book is sitting in the middle of your lounge room table somewhere so that when your children say to you, oh, I, what, this happened, they came home and said this, you can do what my doctor taught all his kids, Martin Isles now is the, is the um, president of the ACL, he said, well, what does the Bible say? You know, for you've got young kids, teach your kids, what does the Bible say? Because in the end, you're building yourself an ark. You're building yourself something and putting it into your kids so that what happens when they come home with differing values? They go, oh, they said this today. You can say to your kids, what does the Bible say? Prophetic instinct, teach them to hear and to what God says and to listen. And they'll, they'll get a hold of it. Hebrews 10, 36 says, don't cast away your confidence for it has great recompense of reward. See, there's that word again. It's reward. God rewards faith. 
You cannot just sit back now and say, this doesn't matter what's going on. I'm just going to, it's me and mine, doesn't matter. This fight's coming to your door. It's your kids who are going, the estate is going to try and rob of their faith. It's your kids that they're going to tell that climate change and the planet's going to burn up and they're going to die and they're terrified. What do you teach them? That God says, I'll create a new heavens and a new earth and it's going to, animals and beasts will all lay down together. You know, I can remember looking at Bible stories. I've got them in my cupboard and I can remember seeing people just lying on lions and Jesus just standing there. That brought great peace. I went, wow, what a day when we just all together and just the peace of God. But you see, you've got to put something into them. You've got to put something into yourself. So what is the solution? Let's have a look at Hebrews 11.32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Samson, Barak, the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness and obtained promises. It says the just shall live by faith. You must appropriate your own faith so that you can subdue the kingdoms, that you can work righteousness. If ever there was a day If ever there was a day, it's today to work righteousness. How does it happen? By faith. By us standing up and declaring and by praying and by saying, you know what, we are not. What's going to contend for your vision? What what reality is going to come to you and to your world and to your children, your your grandchildren? Is it the one the world is trying to superimpose on you? You know that you cannot build by just relaxing. I always say this, defeat dwells in passivity. If you're passive, then you're floating downstream and the enemy is going to take you down. If you're not aggressively building your faith and teaching your family, I love telling this story because I just love my time with my grandchildren and I just build my messages around this. I have Harvey for seven minutes, five days a week, and I take him to school. And we sit there and we do our declarations. And he's really clever. He's, he's very good at math. So I taught him 66 books of the Bible. But he knows that now. So now I've got to find a new challenge for him because he knows that there's 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. That makes 66. And he can say them all. And he's really, really, so I'm going, God, I need a new challenge. And so I teach him things and I go, what's faith? The spirit of faith is what I believe and what I speak. It's what I believe and what I speak. Harvey, it's what you believe, it's what you speak. And I say, you know, God says, I am bold, I am strong. And I give him all these declarations to say. And he's quite timid, quite shy. The other day we come into church and I had the song on. So we're we're doing it. It's his favourite song, My Lighthouse. And he's singing, my lighthouse, my light. And he's singing the song at the top of his voice. And I'm in the car going, yeah, this is so good. (laughs) He's found his voice. Have you found your voice? Have you found your voice? 
Faith. What I believe and what I speak. If you haven't found your voice, you're floating downstream and you will get taken down with the enemy. You cannot just think that God will save me. God will help me. God will do it. Oh, my goodness. People don't want to pray about the world today because they say, oh, you know, God has done it. I don't have to do anything. Well, you're already floating downstream. We better get into the fight. We better start to say what God says. We have an opportunity to possess our future. Let me talk to you a little bit just for a moment about how we do this because there's three things we need to do. We need to stay connected in the church, in the body, because he says don't forsake assembling of yourselves together all the more as you see the day approaching, okay? That's just a given. But the other way is through prophetic encouragement of one another. Now, I don't know about you who you listen to, but I, I, I listened to um, Eric Metaxas interview Lance Wall now the other day. And Eric Metaxas is a, um, got his own radio show in, in New York, and he's a conservative. And he was saying, prophetic people are pathetic at explaining the prophetic. <laughs> he loves the prophetic. Because he said most people reduce it to a Nostradamus type of thing and see it as a predictor. But he said it's not how it should work. Really? <clears throat> he said, I get deep knowings that are more than my own brain. Lance Warner describes the prophetic as I just get an instinct. I get a thought that reoccurs and reoccurs. And I just go, God, what are you saying? Now, how many of you would say, oh, I'm a prophetic person? You just boldly say it. Probably not a lot of you. But how many, if I said to you, I get an instinct or I just get a thought that comes back again and again and I know it's more than me. How many of you would say yes to that? Most of you. You see, just because you didn't put up a hand, I just assumed, okay? <laughs> Most of you, a lot of you have got really good brains and I know you, you have prophetic instinct. Noah had this prophetic instinct, being warned of God of things not seen. You have, have prophetic instincts. Colette was just telling me a story the other day. She wanted to go to, um, to Adelaide for a holiday. And um, a friend said to her, uh, no, I don't think it's a good idea. And on that prophetic instinct, she said no. If she had have gone, she would have been locked out because of the outbreak that came. See, God warns you. I think you would probably all have a story of where God instinctively, you know, it's not the right thing to do. Stock market, yeah, I'll put it there. No, I won't put it there. Prophetic instinct, nurture it, build it. We want to encourage it. In this season, we're going to need more of that, not less, right? How many of you can say amen? amen. Okay, just want to make sure you hear me. The other thing is, we believe God works with confirmation. People come to me and say, oh, got a prophetic word. Or, you know, they feel God give them a prophetic word and they say, I go, do you think you could be wrong? Oh, no, God said. Well, my first assumption would be that you probably are wrong because God works in confirmation. And oftentimes when it comes to life-changing things, a single prophetic word, often if it's not confirmed, then I would never move on it. I've always waited for God to confirm the prophetic word, and it works. God, I always say, is very good at looking after his own business, and the prophetic is his business. And if God wants you to do something, he'll make sure that he gets your attention, okay? Can I just say that? So in this church, the prophetic functions 
under the assumption that we want to encourage you, exhort you, edify you, but don't necessarily go and act on just one word and say, oh, that didn't work, but the prophet told me at the church that this was going to happen. Uh, 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 uh. You get confirmation before you ever act. And there's safety then in that for you and for us. Don't act on one prophetic word. There's a lot of weird stuff out there. Believe you me. I don't even listen to most prophetic people that I hear. I have one or two that I watch. And, um, and then I don't even watch them. I just wait for... Sometimes they come across my path. It's like God brings them across and it confirms something that I was already thinking and doing. So the prophetic's really important in this day, I think, when, when things are dark. The second thing that's really important is connect groups, microgroups, small groups. At the beginning of 2019, God spoke to Peter about microgroups. Why did he do that? 12 months before even we saw COVID, God said microgroups will be really important. We had no idea what he was talking about or how to build it, but this year and coming into 2021, we want to encourage as much of the church as possible to get into either a small group or a microgroup. You might say, what does that look like? Or why, you know? I found we have one small group, a revival group that we run, and the bottom of it is there's confidentiality and there's, we have a trust there. So when you come into a small group, our idea of a small group is that you build trust. If you don't build trust in a small group, you won't have vulnerability. And in fact, you'll end up with artificial harmony. Because what happens is that you won't want to have conflict with somebody because you'll be afraid that it'll upset the boat, right? So if you have a small group, you can have a little bit of an argy-bargy. Like and then afterwards you could go, oh, I forgive you. I love you. And your relationship, when you maybe go down 20 years down the track, you go, you know, I'm so glad you're my friend. We've had a few fights. We've had a few things we've not agreed on. But you know what? I'm really glad that we're still together. Now, we've got a great group. I like that. Our church, I think, is a great group. But let me tell you, you could just sit on the edge of church and not develop any kind of meaningful relationship because you will not trust. And if you won't trust, you won't be vulnerable. You'll be afraid of conflict and you'll have artificial harmony. If that works for you, go right ahead. But it doesn't work for me. I believe God wants us to be in meaningful relationships with one another where there's accountability, where there's commitment. If you're in a home group and you don't come to our home group, I'm likely to ring you up and say, where were you? You can't sit there and say, how dare you? You're so controlling. You're just a dictator. <laughs> yeah, we know where that word comes from, don't we? Yeah. But anyway, these, you know, we've got to learn to say, hey, I put myself into a group where I've got some accountability because in the end I'll have meaningful relationships. And I'll get results and I'll start to grow spiritually. If you're not in a small group, that's not going to happen. And your spiritual life will get stunted. How does it work? You know, sometimes a microgroup might be just one or two. If you meet with somebody just two or three times a year or... Um, you say, hey, I want to get together. We've got a few groups starting up like that now. I've had a gentleman the other day, he said, oh, 
I really would like to learn just a bit more about the Bible. And I said, you know, it's a bit hard to get something that's a bit in-depth. But one gentleman in our church said, you know what, I'll do that with that man. So they're going to organise and have just a Bible study, just the two of them. I had another fellow that was new at church the other day and um, I invited him out, you know, when we had the the big morning with Rudolph. And I said, do you want to go out for prayer? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) I thought, okay, it needs a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of fellowship. So I asked somebody else who's really good at evangelism. I said, listen, how about you just start a microgroup with that gentleman? How would you like that? And he said, yeah, I'll do that. Can I suggest to you going forward in 2021, little connections like that one-on-one might build into something even bigger. You might still have your one-on-one group, but then someone else will hear about it and they'll go, oh, gee, I want to get involved in that. Maybe I could start a group like that. I believe faith is built when we get together. It's built by the prophetic and it's built in small groups. And so I encourage you, that's one of the reasons we have fellowship in the middle, so we can prophesy, encourage, and do all kinds of things. But if you don't, then God rewards, what does he reward? Faith. Faith. God rewards faith. And faith is built in meaningful relationships together where we learn and we grow together. And so these times, there's a lot of stuff going on. Keep your eye on the ball. Build your faith. Build your faith because God rewards faith. And pray together and pray and seek God. I said to Peter today, why is it? We've got the biggest churches probably in history and the church I think has never been weaker because people haven't learned to engage. They haven't learned to fight. They just sit in church. There's no meaningful relationships. There's no development. There's no spiritual challenge. Oh, I don't want to get into that. I want just artificial harmony. Just leave me alone. Well, you'll stay stunted and you will not grow and you will not be ready for the fight and you will not be able to teach others how to fight. We've got to learn to grow together and we need each other. We're what? Better together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us keep our eye on the ball, build faith, encourage one another prophetically and stay in fellowship because you have put us in community and in families. Lord, I pray for your spirit to just show us and speak to us about how we can grow in going into 2021. You would help us keep our eyes on the ball and seek you above all because you are our reward. And by faith, we subdue kingdoms. We obtain the promises. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. How about we just stand together right now?